Behold, the institution of marriage. It is one of the most marvelous and enduring gifts to humankind. This divine plan was revealed to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and then described succinctly in Genesis 2.24, where we read, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. With those 20 words, the Creator announced the ordination of the family long before he established the two other great human institutions, the government and the church. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. Production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday night, January 11th, And on this evening, we're going to explore the free, and we'll do so with author and musician Willie Vlotten. As the lead singer and songwriter of Portland, Oregon band Richmond Fontaine, Vlotten has released nine studio albums since the late 90s, and also has written, during that same time, four novels, The Motel Life, North Line, Lean on Pete, and The Free. Regarding The Free, the New York Times relates that though Vlotten may be alt-country, As a novelist, he can be pure country. And Ursula Le Guin calls Mr. Vlotten one of the bravest novelists writing, murderers, cheats, saddest, showy examples of the banality of evil are easy, but it takes real courage to write a novel about ordinary good people. He tells us, who really lives now in our America, our city in ruins. I found Willie by way of the Tree Fort Story Fort Book Club and am interested to see what Story Fort 2017 has in store for us. It certainly is an honor to be hosting Mr. Vlotten this evening. How are you doing? And are you staying warm? I'm great, thank you. Yes, yes, our uh, our power's back on, uh, which is great. Uh, but, you know, we heat by wood stove, so, and I, I did my job and I have a ton of firewood, so we're all right. <laughs> Well, so it's I, every time you speak, it's a little surreal for me. I am a father and have lots of menial activities that I am required to do, and so I listen to a lot of the books that I enjoy, and you actually perform the book that I listen to, and so there's a level of something fun in listening to you talk. Was it easy for you to perform the, the reading of your own material as an audiobook? You know, I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. I, I, I do a lot of... Road trips and travel a lot for my band, but as well for being a writer, and and so I, I listen to a ton of audiobooks. Um, so I always wanted to do do my own, and uh, I've done like small CDs of you know short stories and things, but I'd I'd never done a, a novel, and it was really much more difficult than I than I thought. Uh, reading for six to eight hours a day and trying not to make mistakes and. Uh, and trying not to rewrite sentences you wrote uh, while you're reading, which editing is on the fly. one of my faults. Yeah, I know I can't help it. I just can never stop editing. And um, but in general, it was fun. I just did. Uh, they're they're putting audio book out for Lean on Pete uh, because they're making a movie of it. And I just did that uh, three weeks ago or a month ago or something. And uh, it was a blast. I mean, I, I like doing it. Uh, I you know I'm not that good at it, but uh, but I'm learning. Now, do you is it so? Do you think you could read someone else's work, and then do you think you would read it in a different? Because like you, it seemed like you had a really unique voice that meshed really well with the writing, and that just kind of made sense to me because it's your voice. 
you know, your writerly voice as well as your actual human voice? Yeah, maybe the the rhythm that I speak is the rhythm that I write. That could, that could be a possibility. Uh, and I know uh, how I want it to sound. Uh, if someone hires me to to uh, read their book, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be delighted, you know. Uh, uh, I like it. My hero in, in the audiobook realm is Will Patton. Okay. Will Patton's an actor, but he he, de- he did a lot of Dennis Johnson, uh, James Lee Burke. He did a Woody Guthrie book. Uh, he's done a, a bunch of stuff. He's he's one of the best audiobook. He's one of the best readers ever, I think. And that really so, it matters when you're listening to... Like if someone is too dramatic or just not quite, I don't know. It can really just you won't. I I, I tend to just turn it off. Yeah, it can definitely ruin. It can ruin a book. I mean, a good reader can actually enhance enhance the book. Uh, can make a, a mediocre book almost even better. Uh, but at the same time, you could take one of your favorite books and have a bad reader, and um, and it destroys it for you. And and nowadays, there's so many. Uh, like cheaper renditions done, cheaper audiobooks done, and the production's cheaper. The re- the readers are fine, but they they don't fit the book. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I listened to uh, William Kennedy's Ironweed, which is one of my favorite novels, and a novel I go back to time and time again. And Jason Robards, the the famous actor, reads it um, back I think in 1981 or 82. And it's just it's genius, you know, the the way he does it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a fan, but you're right. A, a bad reader can definitely throw a wrench in the middle of a, a good book. Well, so then I'm curious. We're doing audio right now. We're talking about audio. For some reason, when I was listening to your book, I was thinking about painting and how... Are, were you part of an MFA program? No, no, I was not. Wow. That's that's amazing. No, I I wrote uh I wrote uh just because I I love novels and um I guess I was about nineteen when I I wrote my first one nineteen twenty somewhere just purely for fun escapism. It's a lot quieter than being in a band. Um, <laughs> uh, and I I just did it as escapism for fifteen years maybe. I wrote you know, five, six novels, uh, you know, stacks of stories and just for myself, really. Um, but no, I didn't go to an MFA program. Wow. Well, cause I, I think in some ways, good writing is kind of like painting and you don't necessarily need a lot of paint to convey a lot of, uh, action or information or even emotion, you know, with like a gestural drawing, you can really, but so the, it just is so fascinating. This this interesting mix of characters and how, and maybe that's it with good writing. That just these characters that I was I got to meet in the free were just so fully developed. Uh, well, thank you. Um, I mean, I do write simply, uh, but I, I whether that's just because I'm I'm no William Kennedy, you know, or Flannery O'Connor, the I'm a, or Tom Waits, those three can play with language. I don't think I've ever been able to do that. But I've always wanted to write stories. When I first started, I always wanted to write stories for working class guys like friends of mine. When they got off of work, how could you get them to read a novel? And The Motel Life was the most dramatic that way, where I, I wrote it specifically 
for my drinking buddies. I wanted to to see if I could get my friends to read a book that wasn't uh, that was intense and and full of blood and uh, and had ideas behind it, but also wouldn't make you turn on the TV, uh, wouldn't bore you too much, uh, would make you turn the page and keep you awake even when you're tired. So I think that was always in the back of my mind and still is uh, uh, when I write a novel. And did you feel like that was successful? Did you get them to? <laughs> Shit, man. To get a to get a guys to read is a, is is a, is a, a task that like regular working class guys to get to read it's a, it's a mystery it's a tough one you know they did and I live in this town called Scappoose, Oregon and they did uh, the uh, a citywide read uh, Scappoose has like five thousand people a citywide read to get men involved in in reading literature read just trying to get men to read a novel sure and they did the Maltese Falcon which I thought was a great I thought man they know what they're doing that gets old guys it gets young guys I mean that you can't beat Dashla Hammett and you can't beat the Maltese Falcon for just sitting down and getting a guy to read a novel yeah so I went so I was all excited for all you know they had three or four events and you know, uh, I went to every event and, uh, there was the same, you know, 20 old ladies and, uh, you know, five of their husbands that still liked them enough to go to it and, uh, and me, <laughs> so, uh, I don't, I don't have the answer to it, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I try, I tried to, uh, that's the way I've always wanted to write is, is if you were tired, if you got off of work and you were tired, that you would write, that I would give you a novel that was intense enough and simple enough, but with a, with a layers to it and ideas behind it, uh, that might punch you in the gut a little bit, and uh, not a genre uh, piece, but but something raw and and immediate and intense uh, was has always been my my goal. Whether I'm successful or not, I don't know. So the program does a book club. We do, and I have a bunch of people that I try and get. So we take on things that we wouldn't, like, it's almost a dare. Like, uh, what if we read James Joyce Ulysses for the spring, you know? But for winter, we did The Shining, and I was wondering if that wasn't something, what you're describing a little bit. But it definitely was a, a piece of genre fiction in terms of there's that, the supernatural horror. But it seemed like it was kind of a a working class book with, with kind of pretty interesting ideas. Yeah. I mean, I think you, uh, the, the, the hard thing with novels is, uh, is with records, you could play a friend of yours, 10 records in, you know, parts of 10 records in an hour and you can pick out what, what he would like. And you kind of know what he's like, but a novel is like trying to learn what's really inside somebody's heart. Like, what kind of novel would a guy that doesn't read novels a lot, what would get him? And a lot of times, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to figure out. Because a lot of times, uh, a guy's favorite novel wouldn't be the novel you would expect at all from him. So I don't know. You know, I've given a lot of friends, you know, the crime novels, Jim Thompson, David Goodis, Charles Wilford, uh, Jack Kerouac, Charles Bukowski, and some some uh, who you would think would love the book you gave them don't like it at all and are more drawn to you know uh, somebody you wouldn't imagine 
it's hard. Novels are a lot harder to pick out for people I, I've found, unless unless they're just straight up fans of novels. Then then it's easy. Yeah, and a novel is such a different kind of commitment than a movie or an album or anything like that, because it's just it's more introspective and it's a time commitment. Yes. Uh, but speaking of likes, um, tastes, novel tastes, Leroy likes science fiction. Do you also like science fiction? Was that kind of fun to? You know, I, I'm not as you know. I've read science fiction. Uh, I'm not as. Uh, I'm always jealous of guys that read science fiction. I guess because I don't. I spend all my time chasing uh, like uh, working class literature. Uh, so I don't read science fiction as much. I, I love science fiction movies. I love people that like it. Uh, so uh, what I was trying to say with Leroy was, here's this sweet kid who's not even a real soldier. He's in the National Guard. And he had a girl that loved him so much, she would sit in a bathtub with him and read Star Trek novels to him or read any science fiction novel to him and hand him candy while they're in the bathtub and she's reading to him. She's the greatest gal in the world. They're madly in love, and because of our involvement in Afghanistan and Iraq, and our not being prepared for it, and and getting National Guard troops involved, the guys that weren't ready shouldn't have been there. Uh, you ruin his life. You you ruin his brain. You take away uh, this great love affair. Uh, Willie Nelson says the you know the reason the the jukebox is always full of sad songs and always will be. And people will always like them is because 99% of us don't find the right person. Uh, and he found the right woman with Jeanette. And all I thought I was trying to say is like, here's these romantic guys, uh, and you destroy his brain and you leave him in the chaos of, a, instead a chaos of a science fiction story. That's hell. That's, uh, is is basically his version of hell, which if you read it all about brain injuries, uh, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, you'd like so much madness and it doesn't go to happy places. You get more frustrated. Uh, your thoughts are darker, more violent oftentimes. And, and I just thought, uh, how could we do this to this poor kid who wasn't even really a soldier? Hmm. I'm curious, like books take time, and when you begin a project, it's quite different than when it actually gets published. When did you start writing The Free, and when did it, you know, it came out in 2014, and then how do you feel about it kind of now? You're right. I mean, things have changed. You know, I think I probably started working on it in 2009, 2010. Uh, it takes me a long time uh, to finish a book. I can write them really fast. Uh, like in six months, and then I, I, then I spend years tinkering on it, trying to get it to work right. Things have changed. They legalized marijuana in Oregon, uh, in uh, and in Washington, and so uh, uh, that aspect of it has changed. But even though there still are grow operations everywhere, Obamacare made it a little easier to get health insurance. Uh, so those two things have changed, but we're still, you know, we're, supposedly we're out of Iraq, uh, mostly, kind of, and then, you know, we're still in Afghanistan. So I don't think the, the, I was writing more about the surge and about Oregon 
National Guard troops getting sent over, you know, when they're for, in their 40s um, sometimes and ill-prepared. So uh, I don't think much has changed since, since I wrote the book. Uh, some, you know, outwardly maybe, um, maybe like uh, here and there, but in general it, it seems pretty true today. Yeah. And there's, at least in my opinion. But there's something interesting with the actual science fiction story that's kind of taking place in Leroy's mind in terms of, you know, that it's it's like a Philip K. Dick alternate reality thing where he's in this in this bad dream situation and there's actually a secret society known as the free that is hunting down people that um, that have a sp- specific mark. Uh, I'm, I'm just... I got it. Uh, well, what I was trying to say with that is is uh, the idea which is going on right now of who's a real American. Like, uh, if you've grown up in a in any kind of like very religious or very right wing environment, there are conversations of like who is a real American. Is a, uh, is a homosexual a real American? Is somebody from a uh, that's not white a real American? Is someone with a different religion than you a real American or different ideas or with purple hair or or, or so many different things that are uh, that conservatives might find, you know, unappealing or un-American. It's a conversation I grew up around. And uh, and so I thought it was interesting when people say because people throw around uh, rhetoric like that. And I think there's a big price to pay. Uh, for that, and obviously within the side, the science fiction part is it's exaggerated, but it was in a way it was just like a, a, a freeing way for me to talk about the more hawkish side of that type of American, the type of American that gets really the the, the, the kind of the the way we're swaying right now yeah. uh, with Trump. Uh, um, it, it it feels like that to me. Right. Yeah. Well. I saw somebody redo like one of Trump's rallies with Pink Floyd's "Get Him Up Against the Wall," and it somehow was resonating oddly and uh, kind of in a scary sort of way. But that's the same kind of thing where, you know, the real Americans are going and finding it's a witch hunt for uh, uh, the other was would be a good way of saying it, I guess. But so in terms of all these different characters, and you you. They all are just leading their little lives and sometimes intersecting. Which ones, like, do you have favorites when you have a whole cast like that? I mean, I wrote them all. Uh, I wrote The Free as a, uh, as a, a letter, really, uh, to the patron saint of nurses. I dedicated the book to the patron saint of nurses in hopes that he would uh, remember people like Freddie and Pauline and Leroy to remember uh, the soldier with a ruined mind and remember the nurse that's uh, wounded in her own life, like a damaged soul. Um, remember to look after her and remember the working class guy who's drowning in debt, um, trying to pay for his uh, daughter's hospital bills. Um, you take an honest man like Freddie who works two jobs and you get him to the point where he breaks the law, where he does something illegal, which is totally something he would not do normally so it's it's a novel about nursing uh, it's a novel about healthcare in america for me 
And from it was my personal uh, State of the Union address, uh, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Pauline and Freddie are the ones that I really. They were the ones that really did it for me. It's interesting too because there's something, and this I guess is the kind of like the painting that I was talking about. Just the repetition of like Freddie's life. You know, he. He ate three donut holes today and drank two energy drinks and then slept for a little bit. Like, there's this really comforting, normal existence that you can identify with, but then at the same time, you can see, you know, a diff- a, from me, a much different and harder perspective in terms of, you know, what kind of pressures he's under. Because, like you said, it's women and dead, and, you know, you find out his backstory and understand why why he's the way he is do you i guess that's do you i mean so all novelists are are creating their things but at the same time do you steal from life and use people as images to well yeah i mean you can't i can't help but be influenced by the things around me i mean one of the ideas with freddie is and Pauline and Leroy, literally Leroy, not his dream sequences, is that they're not free. I mean, he they they are all chained to their lives. Uh, Pauline has to take care of her dad. Uh, uh, Freddie's got two jobs and he's trying to keep his house. And Leroy's stuck in a bed. They're the opposite of free. So. Sometimes, uh, you know, in the early morning when he has his donut holes, that's all, maybe that's the best part of his day. Um, uh, so I, I try to get into the rhythm of uh, the grind. Uh, it was a difficult novel, and that frame uh, work uh, is that Freddie and Pauline were, were really in jail in a lot of ways. And, and so was Darlene Leroy's mother. They're... They're they're stuck uh, and trapped in 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 in, in their lives. They, there's no easy escape for any of those characters. And when Leroy tries to escape, uh, his damaged mind betrays him um, and puts him in that kind of hell uh, that is his fantasy life. So they are all characters that are the opposite of free. But yeah, you know, I was a house painter for 11 years, so I went to a paint store every day for 11 years of, you know, five days a week and, and ate donuts. Cause the, the guy, Freddie, a guy like Freddie would pick up the donuts and then take them to the paint store. And that's why painters go to, go to certain stores is because they have free donuts, you know? So, uh, and I've always loved nurses. Uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I've, you know, one of the things I wanted to do before I die was write a good a story about a nurse because I love nurses uh, and I respect them so much, and uh, they've been so nice to me and my family um, that I wanted to write a, a good, what I thought was a good real nurse. And I, and and again, I was horrified by our involvement in Afghanistan, Iraq, and 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 uh, heartsick for all the damage. Uh, men and women coming back, and uh, um, I didn't know what else to do about it except put my little stamp on on a protest which was Leroy Hmm. yeah there's something regular about Pauline too with uh, the charting 
you know, there's something, there's all these certain rhythms that happen that kind of make these kind of extreme lives, like you said, they're in in a present of sorts, okay. Somehow the rhythms um, normalize, you know, what they're, what they're doing all the time. Yeah, I mean, the rhythm of a, the day in and day out of a life, of a person's life, I mean, it is a grind. I mean, how to, how to, how does the guy that gets up and like works at Les Schwab every day, busts his ass, uh, changing tires every single day, and he has to run out to each customer, and then he gets his 15 minute break, and then he's got to bust his ass until he gets his lunch, and you gotta, he's got to hope to God he's got a decent lunch because that's the only good thing he's got, and then he's changing tires until it's dark, and then he goes home. And then he does it the next day. And, uh, I and mean, you want him a... to read when he gets home is what you want. <laughs> well, I, I just, I, I've always thought, why can't that guy be the hero of a story? Why can't the guy from Les Schwab uh, be a hero? Because to me, any guy that can go to a job every day like that, that's a hard job and a boring job in so many ways. Uh, but obviously an honorable job and a good job. But how a guy can do that day after day after day after day, like Darlene uh, working at Safeway day after day after day when she has a son that's uh, rotting away in a group home. And she's kind of put her life on hold to take care of her son. Um, But she still has to pay bills so she can have a roof over her head. Well, why can't she be the hero? That's, uh, you know, that's the way I write is, I want those people to be my heroes because uh, those are the people I like reading about. And those are the people that in, in, in many ways are, are heroes to me and in, in the way I look at life. Well, so then in a moment where – is his name Leon, the, the grow station? Oh, yeah. It's the, his his uh, 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 Lowell. It's Lowell. His, uh, ex, his ex, the guy he used to work with. You're talking about the, yeah. the marijuana he calls. Grow. he calls yeah. – uh, uh, Freddie's boss, of Freddy. the, the Bible Eater. You still working for the Bible Eater, right? Right. Um, but then he lays it out because he's got a perspective on his life that Freddie doesn't have, and says, "You know, I don't if I don't want to be around you if you work for that guy for another year. You don't, you know. There's something so horrible about Freddie's life in terms of you know how how his boss is taking advantage of him." Well, I mean, that's the hard thing is, is what do you do when you, uh, Freddie's so worn out, uh, um, he's got two jobs, he's about ready to lose his house, he's running out of reasons to get up every morning, because his wife and kids don't live with him anymore, Um, and he's scared to leave his job, a lot of people are, a lot of people work their whole lives for bosses that are bad out of fear and out of uh, so many demands on their life any way that they can't take the shot of, they can't take the risk to quit the job and try to find another one. He just doesn't have it in him. It's one of the tragedies of Freddie is, uh, is that he just doesn't have it in, in him to try and break free, uh, free of this guy. He just plays the game he was given instead of changing the game. It seems like Pauline, though, she has, even though she feels that confinement, she's willing to take risks even though they totally bristle against her even just i'm not your boyfriend we're not <laughs> i don't want a boyfriend 
but this is okay if we clearly state, you know, what's going on here, you know, and, and I can't think of it. Well, name. I think Pauline uh, uh, has spent her whole life taking care of a mentally ill father. So she's built a lot of walls around herself. And so when we meet her, you know, she's uh, approaching, she's 35, she doesn't have a boyfriend, she doesn't have a lot of friends, she just kind of goes to work and comes home, had, drinks too much, eats too much, and is kind of, in, in a way, to protect herself, has isolated herself, but in doing so, she's kind of lost her humanity in a lot of ways when we meet her. And by the girl, Carol, who you you know both is her names are both Joe and Carol. Yeah. Uh, she finally sees a reason to try to regain her humanity. She tries to save this beat up kid, and by doing so, she kind of saves herself. Uh, she kind of joins the human race again. She decides, um, I tried to help this kid, and and it opened my mind up and my heart up. To, to realize that I can't feel again and I'm heartbroken over this kid. Um, and so she takes a shot on having a boyfriend, um, you know, once again in her own way, trying to regain her humanity to, to try to let herself be loved, um, uh, to make herself a, a bit vulnerable. Uh, she does that, uh, I think, because the kid brought that out in her. Uh, it made her realize that her, she really does still feel a lot and that she still has passion uh, and and hope and, and, and wants love. Uh, but she's got a ton of scars to her and dents and baggage and, you know, but the, so her maybe boyfriend Ford, who knows what will happen with them, but at least she's trying to do something and she's trying instead of hiding. And, uh, and I thought that was a great victory for, for Pauline, uh, both to try to save the kid and, and also to try to save herself. So then I wonder about your actual writing process. It, it, and, like, and this goes back to the beginning with what I'm saying about how realized all these people are that it's inhabiting this world. Like, do you, how do you, do you just like sit with them or you know because in some in some books it's all about the plot and you're trying to get character a you know to this point at this right moment so you reach all these certain you know so it's joseph campbell and the whole whatever but with i just wonder about you know do you find some character and think oh i want to explore this for a time well it depends you know like uh each of my novels is different that way as far as the 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 story uh, if it's more plot driven or not um this one was just like i said it was more a novel about nursing it was a a novel about uh, uh modern healthcare in america and it, it was just kind of my state of the union address so uh, i w- i wanted to talk about the working class guys under the gun, uh, not having good health care, uh, Freddie. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, soldiers coming back with brain injuries, uh, which is Leroy and, and, and a modern-day nurse, which is Pauline. So I, I had the characters, and I, and, I, and I wanted it to be intense, 
Um, I didn't want a, a huge plot, uh, although there is kind of in each each storyline. There's yeah. there's a there's an intense thread running through each one. Um, but but I was more interested in these bigger themes than than just a plot twist. Mm-hmm. Well, so then novel on the on the whole on the other side of the spectrum when you write music, how is it is it similar? Is it different? Is that a different shit? No, man. I I would be way uh uh it's more successful <laughs> if I uh if I wrote more poppy, thinking more uh, in terms of hooks and you know plots, you know kind of ideas. Uh, no, you know I write folk songs. You know I write folk songs in my band, uh, changes them and makes them into uh, all different kinds of songs. But I'm a story songwriter, a folk songwriter generally and um and once in a while I, I write pop songs here and there when i when i think my band's gonna kill me <laughs> I, i'll write catchier songs but in general i i've always been a story a fan of story songwriting and uh and that's sort of what i do hmm. so so what are you what are you working on these days well i have a book coming out um uh next year in um uh called don't skip out on me and it's uh, uh it's a novel and um and it, it comes with a soundtrack that i did that i'm just in the process of doing right now and uh what else am i doing and then hopefully i'll start touring with this band called the delines which is my other band um but uh we're just waiting our singer got hurt and we're waiting for her to heal up and hopefully she will and we'll get to start touring again and then maybe you're not at liberty to say, but are you on the hook for something at Treefort, or are you just in the book? The band is a. I'm doing story for it, um, but the band uh, with Johnny Evison, Jonathan Evison, okay. he and I are doing an event together, and he's one of my favorite. He's a good pal of mine, but he's also one of my favorite writers. He's really a sharp guy and really funny. But the the lines, my band was supposed to do something at. Uh, tree for it but uh like i said our singer got hurt so we've had to cancel all our gigs for the foreseeable future but um we're hoping by next year we'll get rolling again now you're saying he's in the band with you no no i'm doing a, an event okay. a story for right. okay. like a reading with uh jonathan evison who's a a writer from uh squim up in uh, washington and he said yes to come on my show too which is interesting yeah cause... he's funny man he's a he's a great guy uh west of here uh is, is an amazing novel but I mean, he's got all, all his stuff is great well the one that i happen to fall into is the one about it's also a nursing book yeah fundamentals of caregiving yeah and so i just thought yeah, that's a great novel yeah well i'm reading them both at the same time and it just feels like kind of the it's the right thing to think about right now for me to to Good. slow down and and care about people. Yeah. Well, I wonder about so you said they're turning one of your books into a movie or I think they made a movie of what your first book, right? Yeah, they made a, a movie of uh my uh Hotel Life? novel The Motel Life and then they're just finishing one called Lean on Pete, which is my third novel. And, and I've been thinking about this a lot, how different a movie is from the book. I, I mean, so... Of course, yes. Because it's, it's not that 
it's just that it's such a different medium. You're in a book for so much longer than an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to hope that they get the guts of what you're trying to say and then hopefully make it better, make it into a movie that makes sense, kind of has the same soul as your novel maybe, and and maybe take it in a different direction but do it well. (laughs) I mean... I mean, like Ken Kesey, uh, he hated, he wouldn't, he protested one flew over the cuckoo's nest because it, it wasn't literal to his novel. Um, but it was, a, it's a brilliant movie. Uh, mm. And, and so I, 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 the way I've always looked at movies and, and novels is you either make the movie yourself or, or, or you don't let anyone touch your movie or your book to make a movie or you try to, work with somebody who's you think's really uh, smart and 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 it's gonna try their best and and then you run the other way and that's kind of what i've done is i uh, you know i with lean on pete i met a director named andrew Haig, who's a really cool guy super smart guy and i liked his movies a lot and then i just have to trust that you know he's got a lot more to lose than me and i and he busts his ass so I, I, you know, I, I'm hoping I haven't seen it yet, but I hope it's good. And I, I would guess it would be good just cause he's so, so smart. I just hope that my story holds up, uh, in that format. This show likes synchronicity. And so the idea that I'm reading books about caring right now is kind of, you know, my sink as it were, I'm wondering, you know, what kind of role synchronicity plays in your life and your like artistic practice is that you know something do you have any really great synchronicities <laughs> not really man <laughs> i you know i uh yeah i mean only i i kind of write in themes and so my songs and my stories uh they kind of all live together uh on the same block as it as it would be maybe um and, and so all my stuff shifts on on whatever interests me at the time. Um, with the free, I, I was writing tons of songs about uh, the characters in the free. I was writing songs about Freddie and Pauline, mm. and um, and so you know. But I, I to answer your question, not really. <laughs> well, thank you. That was forty-two minutes. <laughs> That's a good way to end. All right. You've been listening to Willie Vlauten on 42 Minutes. We'll link to his novels and his music. For more information about The Sync Book, our guests, check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access, the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as seasonal online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And Leroy opened his eyes to see a woman in a blue and white starred bikini holding a pneumatic drill. He was 43 years old Paying for his mother to be in a home Paying his ex-wife and kids in a different state He worked at a paint store He mortgaged his home, he was going broke He 
there's a sign.